It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Scott and Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. Uh, This week we are discussing uh, AFI's number 99 film on their top 100 list, uh, which is Toy Story, uh, Pixar's first uh, major motion picture. It's hard to imagine, but this is a 16-year-old movie at this point, uh, released yeah. in 1995. You know, as of this recording, 16 years, so obviously gets older as we go. But um, you know, I I remember when it came out and uh, was crazy excited about it, and uh, it doesn't feel like that long has passed. Yeah, this was the, this to date is the only Pixar movie I did not see in the theaters. Uh, not oh, counting now, counting Cars too. But uh, this was the first. It was I didn't know about this movie until it came to my local video store, which I'm a little sad about. But mm-hmm. that's just the, where I was in my own life at that time. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say I don't think I actually saw this in the theater either. But um, I was very. I remember seeing like the ads for it on TV and that kind of thing, and and uh, you know renting the DVD. Or I guess not the DVD. Ninety five. It would have been a VHS tape. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we definitely, yeah. We definitely owned the VHS tape. And uh, the, when the wife and I watched this uh, last week, um, I was amazed at how many, how much, how quotable this movie is, and like how much I knew of the script. I was like, wow. <laughs> Marshall and I watched this movie a lot. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those that you know for me. Uh, you know, especially both of the of the first two Toy Stories, because I mean they came pretty quickly back to back, if I'm recalling. And uh, you know, yeah, I think the first, yeah, the first one was '95. I think the second one was in '99. I think it was just four years later. Yeah, and so you know, you definitely had these movies, and uh, the second one was hitting a lot closer to me being, uh, you know, college age and that kind of thing. But um, you know, it was, it was still. You know, you knew what the first one had been, and here's Pixar coming along with their next movie, and and so it was very exciting. Um, and so. yeah, and part of that excitement was just how different the movie looked. I mean, right from uh, right from the get go, when you saw the previews, when you saw sat down and watched the movie, it was a cartoon. I mean, it was an animated movie, but it was unlike anything um, anybody had ever seen before. This was the first computer animated feature film exactly and that's uh that's a pretty major thing and something uh, i think to kind of talk about here uh, for a minute um you know looking at the afi top 100 list uh this uh technically isn't on our list of things to talk about so i'm kind of throwing this at scott a little bit (laughs) but there aren't that many animated movies on it um I believe it's this one and uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, if I'm not mm. mistaken. Uh, and I think those are the two um, feature-length animated films on the list. Oh, The Great Mouse Detective's not on there? Or Robin Hood? Well, you know, and, and that brings up an interesting question. Is, is why, you know, uh, you can look at um, a lot of uh, animation that came out of, say, Disney or, or whatever, and... Uh, there's a lot of fantastic movies that they did. Um, you know, why would this movie be on it, but maybe not something like, uh, you know, Beauty and the Beast or something like that? Right, right. Uh, that's, I think that's a very fair question. And um, 
I think my response to that would be almost is to jump right into some of the themes that are prevalent throughout this movie or or what the story is kind of actually about. And uh, I was watching it and I started asking myself those questions because it was interesting to me to go from Ben-Hur, this movie from 1959, and the very next movie on the list was Toy Story. And I I remember turning to Kelly and I go, so what makes this movie better than Ben-Hur? And maybe that's not exactly what the AFI Top 100 list is. Mm -hmm. That's a fair question, it seems like. Right, but yet at the same time, this did outrank Ben-Hur. And so um, I said, well, what is this movie about? I mean, on the surface, it's about toys. It's about, you know, when you leave the room, what do the to- what happens in a toy's life? You know, it, they actually are alive in this existence, and it's really kind of cool. And it's it taps into, I think, probably that thing every child believed, which is my toys actually are alive. Uh, and then I, I got a real kick out of, I forgot how many times, uh, Andy, the little boy in the movie, how many times he loses his toy and his mom always responds, well, I'm sure it's going to turn up somewhere. And, uh, I'm sorry. That's my dog. I'm going to kick him out of the office. <laughs> out, Thomas, out. Uh, Sorry, but the, the, the mom says, uh, well, I'm sure he'll, he'll turn up somewhere. And that, I felt like, was a conversation I had with my mom on a daily basis. And I always knew, no, I left my toys right here. Mm-hmm. And the toys would wind up somewhere else. And probably in my real life, I had actually moved them and forgotten. But I love the idea that in this movie, Andy was perfectly right. He, was, he knew he left his toys here right the there, car, and they weren't the there. And they weren't there anymore when he comes back. I absolutely love that kind of conceit in this movie. Um, but to uh, actually get a little bit deeper, and maybe some of these questions might seem a little bit ridiculous, uh, but as I watched it, I started to ask myself, is this movie uh, about accepting existentialism? Like, is that the reality of life? Is that kind of the trajectory that Buzz goes through? Is that his, his story is accepting the fact that he is not attached to something greater. He is actually just a little plastic toy. Um, or is this about deciding what you let define yourself? What is it? You know, what is the most important thing to you? Is it your career? Is it who your friends are? Or is it your family? You know, what is the thing that you use to define yourself? Uh, is it an interesting allegory about the the atomic age and the change of American culture? You have uh, the astronaut coming in and replacing the cowboy, you know, which is something that kind of happened in the 50s with our pop culture and with everything. And it's due to, you know, like the atomic bomb and all of these interesting things. Um, is it about accepting those that are different than you? Um, you have... Woody at, on the offset on the offset being very against Buzz, and then you then he accepts him, and they end up becoming friends. And then you have both Woody and Buzz being very afraid of Sid's uh, toys in his room, and then they turn out to be friends. So that you constantly have this acceptance of people different than you throughout the throughout the movie. Uh, is it about family and that initial awkwardness of having a new sibling, of having somebody come into the family and completely changing the family dynamic? Mm-hmm. Um, or again, yeah, going back, is it about a kid and just knowing that your toys are alive? 
And what I found interesting is that I think you could make a very strong argument for any of these six things, that that's what this movie is about. Sure. And that's... <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Do, we, do, we, do you want to pause for a second or do you want to keep going? Sure. Uh, yeah, let's pause real quick. Unpaused. Um, all right. The dog situation has been taken care of. Um, <laughs> I apologize, faithful listeners. Uh, uh, no, what I was going to say uh, as as that was going on was that, um, you know, I think that that is at least part of the mark of a good film is that it it really does leave itself open to interpretation sometimes um, and it can, can really speak to some very um, large issues um, and, and really uh, give people a platform um, you know through which to deal with some of these kinds of, of questions or, you know, things that might be going on in their own lives or that they've dealt with before. Right. Um, and that's something that we're used to seeing in live action movies. And it's something, especially like in independent films mm-hmm. you see a lot of, but up until this point, I don't know how many animated films had really done that. A lot of animated films would have a moral of the story, but when you look at the movie beauty and the beast, there's really only one major you know, moral or idea that drives that whole film. There isn't... There isn't a lot of subtext to the whole movie. Right, right. Um, so, at least partially, this is kind of a, a deeper story, I guess is what we're saying, is there's there's layers to it that maybe don't exist in a lot of other um, animation. Maybe uh, we should limit that to Disney animation. Uh, you know, maybe there are other... Let's, yeah, let's just look at those. Um... um you know, it's maybe not. It's it's maybe a deeper experience than you might get out of a lot of other animated films, though. Is what we're saying is a potential reason, at least, for it being on that top one hundred list, and maybe being a better film than uh, uh, Ben Hur, possibly. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so it's so hard to compare. Exactly, completely different films. Yeah. Um, you know, I think another thing that's very interesting about this movie is that it did come out in 1995, um, you know, at a point at which we were not, we hadn't really experienced a whole lot of the world of computer animation at this point yet. No. Um, you know, we had seen some dinosaurs come to life a couple of years before in uh, Jurassic Park. And, right. and, you know, I mean, we, we knew that this stuff existed, but we weren't, um, overloaded with it at the, at the point that this came out. Right. And, um, you know, and we had never seen an entire film created entirely inside a computer. I mean, this was 1995, you know, a computer to us, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, uh, was running, you know, windows three, one and, you know, <laughs> windows 95 right. was maybe coming out at this point. I'm, I'm, right. I don't remember right. where exactly that, but I mean, you know, if you were lucky, maybe you had windows 95, um, you know, uh, the USB had just been invented. Um, it, you know, people didn't even have USB yet. It wasn't something that was on your computer. You were, you know, dialing up to AOL maybe, or something like that on your <laughs> computer. You know, it wasn't something that you really thought, man, I can make a feature film on this thing. And then suddenly, you know, here comes this brand new technology into theaters that that just revolutionized um 
you know, not only did it have this fantastic story, but it was this fantastic new technology that mm-hmm. looked completely different. You know, cameras moved the way that they could in real life, or or right. even better, sometimes ways they couldn't move in real life. Yeah, they could squeeze cameras into the tiniest little corners, or they could make them pass through objects that they shouldn't be able to pass mm-hmm. through. Whether it's a window, a window, or a crate, or uh, the 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 handle of a cup, they mm-hmm. could send that camera right through it. In a, in a long extended camera sequence mm-hmm. um, and, and you just can't do it in real life yeah and you know and on top of that characters could come to life who um, in a realistic sort of way I, I mean if you watch Toy Story um, you know the, the characters it, basically until the humans come on screen yeah you kind of forget you're watching a cartoon because uh, early CG uh, and CG today still, but I mean, early CG was so perfect for plastic toys. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. because they already kind of had that stiffness, uh, you know, computers at that point and, and animators at that point didn't necessarily have the full set of tools that they have today. And I'm sure we'll get even better into the future. Um, you know, so the animation had a certain stiffness to it, a kind of a plastic quality. And so modeling plastic toys, I mean, it was perfect. They, they, when you didn't have anything else on the screen, they just looked like toys. And it was yeah. amazing. You know, if, if this had happened five years before, they would have been hand-drawn and you would have remembered that you were watching an right. animated movie. Yeah, it would have either been The Nightmare Before Christmas, where it's all stop-motion, mm-hmm. or it would have been completely hand-drawn. And like you said, it's not until the humans show up that the movie starts to date itself. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, because... When you see the little green plastic soldiers, uh, they look just like the little green plastic soldiers you have in your bucket. The Woody doll, even though you probably didn't have one before Toy Story. You certainly did after this movie, and it right. looked exactly the same. Right, but yeah, and you you might have had a doll just like him. Mm-hmm. That, you know, you kind of go, yeah, when I throw him across the room, that's how he lands. Mm-hmm. You know, Mr. That's, Potato Head was yeah. Mr. Potato Head, and, you know, it was it was... Just a voice was coming out of him now, and it was amazing. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think I think that's something that this movie really had going for it, is it was, um, and, you know, when we hit uh, Snow White, I think, later on, uh, I think it's going to be some of the same things. But it, it, not only is it a fantastic story, but it had technology that was game-changing. It wasn't, yeah. just, it wasn't just a, oh, well, that's really neat. It was a complete change in the way of approaching um, the world of cinema. Yeah, absolutely. I was doing a little bit of a research on this just because I was curious, and I was surprised to find out that back in 1978, I think it was, um, some students at the New York Institute of Technology Computer Graphics Lab, I don't know what that is, but they <laughs> started working on a full-length CGI film called The Works. Um, and it was going to be a, a movie about robots. And I tried to find something on it somewhere else on the internet. And I couldn't find anything but some stills. But apparently they were working on this feature-length film that was going to be about robots. Um, by 1982, I guess they kind of had walked away from the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I would have loved to have seen that. Like, back in 1978, people were starting to experiment with it. But um, after that was abandoned we started seeing uh, computers being used for special effects, mainly, mm-hmm. you know, touching up little things, uh, screens in Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, like, the tar- like the targeting computers. You'd see that, but it was very simple, very Atari-level mm-hmm. 
kind of graphics. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, looking at that same time period you were just talking about, um, you know, uh, Tron came out, the original Tron. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that was kind of maybe a first glimpse for, for the few audience people who actually went to see it. Um, right. Of kind of maybe some, some interesting ways that um, computers yeah. would be impacting movies. But again, it was. It was very simple yeah, graphics Tron, at that point. Uh, Tron came out in 1982, and then there was another movie, which I like personally better than Tron, which was called The Last Starfighter. And they both used uh, a lot of extensive 3D computer-generated images mm-hmm. for their special effects. Uh, the Last Starfighter... I would love to see them go back and touch up those graphics because it's the, that's the only weak part of that movie. I'd recommend that movie for anybody. It's a lot of fun. It's a great story. But when they go into space, they decided to use CG instead of models. And you can tell because when you look at it now, <laughs> it looks like basic animatics. It looks like a, an animated storyboard, really. And it you just go, oh, because everything else is so great, and then it gets to that, and it kind of falls apart. But because of that, I think, because of you know the commercial failure of Tron and The Last Starfighter, there weren't, uh, there weren't people really itching to try to further the CG world. Uh, you would see little touches of it here and there in movies like Star Trek, and um, James Cameron made The Abyss and Terminator 2, and those were huge. But it wasn't here until Toy Story that we had uh, someone who really said, no, I think we can make a 90-minute feature-length film using computer animation that makes for great entertainment. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the bottom line with this film. I mean, you can talk about all the stuff. It is. It's great entertainment. At, at the end of the day, it's a yeah. wonderful story, well-told, um, you know, uh, the actors in it are fantastic, and yeah. everyone... Everything about this movie really is a fantastic thing. You know, it's it's and that's why it's a wonderful movie and it's why it's on the top 100 films list. You know, it's 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 just great. It Absolutely. really is. Absolutely. Um yeah, not yeah, to bring a summary into it that early, but there well, you go. But I mean, we we could almost we could just about end right there if you wanted to, because that's kind of it. I mean, at this point, I don't know how many people haven't seen Toy Story. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, you need to rectify that very quickly, because mm-hmm. um, this is almost a perfect movie as far as it's it's great for kids. There's a there's a couple scary parts in it. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, so slightly older, younger kids watch you it know. with your kids. You yeah. know, but there's nothing wrong with. Uh, a scary little part because there's scary things in real life. And this is a great way to approach some of that because almost everything that's scary in this movie is addressed and you learn why it's scary. And then, but for adults, there's got, it has so much charm and humor in it and so much just almost melancholy for your childhood that I don't know the person who doesn't or who wouldn't like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I agree. Um, so, uh, maybe we should uh, just say that we recommend this highly, and uh, maybe we should talk really briefly about the sequels to it, just as a as yeah. a sidebar here. Um, you know, there's two sequels to it. There's Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3, of course, just came out here in the last uh, year or so, and... Um, and they... We unintended... It was not my intention when, when Kelly and I sat down to watch Toy Story 1. We were going to watch just Toy Story 1, but as soon as it was over, she was like, okay, we have to watch the next one. And when that one ended, 
we have to watch the next one. So we ended up spending the whole evening watching all three of these movies. And uh, they are all equally very entertaining. There are definitely themes that crop back up. There's definitely things that might be explored one too many times as far as certain plot devices or characters go. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really fun to do, if you ever have you know six hours, watch all three back-to-back because you can watch the growth and progress of computer animation. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Because, I mean, you're, you get a complete 15-year history over three movies, basically. Yeah, like you, especially, like, look at the dog in the first movie. Like, Scud is kind of painful to watch now. You kind of go, ooh. That's 1995 animation. He doesn't have fur. He has texture. (laughs) And then just four years later, they introduce a new dog, Buster, and he looks like a real dog. (laughs) And then in Toy Story 3, Buster's 10 years old, and he looks like a 10-year-old dog. It's like he clearly has aged, and it's, it's really remarkable. And it's just Toy Story 3 looks like... Basically, if you were if these were real actors and you were able to film them, this is what that movie would look like. Mm-hmm. And the movie is so much bigger, even though it's still a small story, very similar to the first Toy Story. It's very small, but there's so much more background detail. There's so much more life in every single frame of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely would agree. You know, they're all they're all very worthwhile. Um, you know, I think the the first one definitely has that magic to it. Um, that, you know, maybe by the third one isn't quite as prevalent or as strong, but even so, they're, you know, they're all um, very good movies mm-hmm. in their own right, and, uh, you know, it, each one is, it's kind of like a, a good visit with old friends, I, you know, if you've, if yeah. you grew up with the movies, you know, it's, it's, they're all, you know, you catch up, it's exactly what toys should be, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's uh, you know, the first movie, at least for me, caught me much more in my childhood, and I connected with the toys. Mm-hmm. By the by, the third movie, you know, I was very much in the place of Andy, where uh, you know he's kind of leaving some of the toys behind and, and things, but at the same time, um, still deeply connected to some of that um, some of that childhood stuff. And you know, e- each movie, depending where you are in life, kind of can hit you in in, in different ways. And yeah. I think that's just some of the charm of these films. Yeah, yeah, and Pixar continues to just very much impress because like Toy Story one was a lot of fun. Technically, I think Toy Story two is my favorite, mm-hmm. just because of how they expanded on the world. Like after Toy Story one, you're like, that is what the world of a toy would be like, and then Toy Story two expands it even further, going to the toy store and seeing all the toys there, and seeing this guy who doesn't play with toys but he collects them for money, and it's like it's so funny. I guess and I connect to some of that stuff, and then seeing. Uh, Buzz's enemy Zerg coming in and Barbie and it's like so many great new things come into that movie and then yeah Toy Story 3 comes along and um, you can get choked up and you're sitting there watching it going this is really just a cartoon but those final moments with Andy and his toys where he he parts ways with uh, his toys it's really kind of heartbreaking and that actually I noticed something watching these three that I don't know if this was intentional by the filmmakers, but I would really like to ask the directors of these movies why the toys never talk to Andy. They talk to Sid. <laughs> they talk to that jerk in the first movie and scare the pants off of him, but the toys never once tell Andy how much they love him. What is up with that? 
Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that, but that <laughs> I had true. I was watching, I'm like, they just broke the fourth wall. I mean, they literally, like, Woody comes to life and speaks to Sid. Not just, First, he speaks just through his voice box in his chest, but then he actually animates himself and talks to Sid, scares him off, and then they run, and then for the rest of their life, they always always play dead when Andy's around. I <laughs> don't get that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and maybe that was just like a, a cool, it's still a great scene. It is. When they do that, it's like, yeah, that jerk of a kid gets what's coming to him. But then you go into the next movies and you see just how, how emotionally attached all the toys are to Andy and how emotionally attached Andy is to them. And they go, and not once do they... And they really could fix all of their problems if they just, which, uh, you know, is kind of a basic uh, right. thing, is, is in general, if people were to talk to each other, they could fix their problems very quickly in movies. Right. Um, sidebar. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, that really would fix a lot of their issues in, in each of the following films if they actually could just, just say, speak hey, up. Hey, we're over here. Don't forget us. Or yeah, and once I noticed that, the only thing I feel that is now missing from Toy Story Three is is a Buzz and Woody saying something to Andy. Even if they did it through their voice boxes and didn't actually animate themselves, mm-hmm. I would have loved for Andy to pull Woody's string one last time, and Andy, I mean, and Buzz would say something like, "You know, you really are my favorite deputy," or something. Just like one little tweak where Andy went, "Wait, what? Did you just say something?" No, you know, and even leave it at that and move on. That's the only thing. But that's just me as a person who really does love these characters and these movies and am very emotionally attached to them. So, <laughs> um, excellent. Well, uh, so that's the Toy Story uh, trilogy, I guess, at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want some more background on the movies, there are some fantastic documentaries. Yes. Um, one called Waking Sleeping Beauty. Um, kind of gives you an overview of uh, the um, late 80s, early 90s at, at the Walt Disney Studios and just kind of gives you a really big, good picture of what was going on. And it's uh, astonishingly honest. And it's a, yeah, very honest, but, you know, in a, in a positive sort of way for, for Disney, I think, ultimately. But Yeah, ultimately but still, it is. There's just, they still, don't, it doesn't feel like they hide some of the ugly mm-hmm. that probably did take place, mm-hmm. which is surprising considering I think Disney's the one who put it out. It, 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 they are, exactly. And and so it's um, it's not directly related to Pixar, but it does discuss kind of where Pixar came from and kind of how that fits into everything and Toy Story fits in. Um, so some exactly. fa- fascinating stuff in that documentary. Waking Sleeping Beauty basically takes you through the history of Disney animation and ends the summer of the Lion King, if I recall, yeah. which is like the summer before Toy Story. Exactly. Um, and then uh, there's another film called The Pixar Story, also um, very good. Uh, yeah, a wonderful documentary that um, you know really lays out kind of how the company came together uh, and you know through the history of of their films up through. Is it Finding Nemo or is it? Um, I think being, it's fine. Uh, yeah, I don't. I think it's Finding one. Nemo. Anyhow, so uh, a couple movies ago at this point, exactly. But uh, just fantastic if you're interested in the history of these companies and kind of how they. Uh, joined forces and and came together kind of and really the last you know twenty to thirty years of of animation if you're interested yeah. in that world uh, these two documentaries put together at least you know as far as Disney animation is concerned uh, mm-hmm. will 
answer most, if not more than all of your questions, probably. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff there that I kind of knew just being a fan of Disney. But then there were a lot of things I went, I did not know that. I didn't know that actor or that director got his start in the animation department of Disney. That's fantastic. There's lots of really cool stuff. Um, The other thing I would add, and I just thought of this, is if you like the Pixar movies, I would highly recommend you try to find the, the... Oh, I can never pronounce his name. It's the Japanese uh, creator. Uh, Miyazaki? Yes, Miyazaki. I would highly recommend you seek some of those out, especially uh, my favorite, uh, My Neighbor Totoro. That one's very um, good. It's I just saw it for the first time like a year ago, and it's really remarkable how similar in style it is to specifically the Toy Story movies. But in general, a lot of the Pixar, some of the, the subtext that is there, the idea of having a child. Uh, childhood adventure, but that is also rooted in a lot of uh, very real, real world uh, problems and ideas. But also, there's like this fantasy element, and they're a lot of fun. And I would highly recommend them. And I wouldn't be surprised if um, the guys who started up Pixar uh, watched those movies and said, "That's what we want to bring to America." Exactly. Uh, any of of uh, Miyazaki's films, um, they're all incredibly worthwhile. I, I can't really think of any that I've seen that haven't been worth your time and so mm-hmm. if you're open to expanding your animation horizons a little bit um you know that's a great place to start uh, especially if you're a little interested in kind of what's going on in japan or or some of the other parts of the world um, indeed a, a great toe into the water of that world i, I would say for you as well mm-hmm. um and yeah fantastic stories uh you know just beautiful animation that uh, in a lot of ways kind of does evoke uh, some Disney qualities, but also has a decidedly unique style all of its own that yes. is beautiful. So yes. not to, not to get sidetracked there, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely. So uh, there's a lot of animation. There's not a lot of animation on this AFI top 100 list. Um, so we're kind of, jumping around and covering some of our favorite stuff out of it just because this is one of our few chances to do it. <laughs> yes. But, um, <laughs> um, so there you are. Number 99, uh, Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up is Yankee Doodle Dandy, number 98 on AFI's top 100 list. It's a black and white musical. So kind of... Is it black and white? Yeah, black and white. Cool. Um, it's on my Netflix queue. I have not ever seen this movie, so I'm looking forward to it. So it follows the... It's a it's a biopic that uh, follows the life of George M. Cohen, who is hmm. um, one of... Considered one of America's great songwriters. So... Does, uh, it, does it include... Like, are the songs his songs? The songs are his songs. So uh, you will get uh, inundated with George M. Cohen <laughs> music. So uh, anyhow, that is our next film. You've been listening to Movies You Should Love. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com.